Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, I hope you're ready for something today that'll change your life. Hallelujah. Let's turn our Bible today to Ephesians, the second chapter, and verse 1 through 8. Ephesians 2, 1 through 8. I would like to tell you I know where I'm going, but I don't. I would like to tell you that I'm going to preach out of my notes, but I don't think I'm going to. But that is the problem with getting something that is seated in you and joined in you. You know it, but you may not be able to express it in simplicity that people will be able to understand it or grasp it. And that's the great challenge of the depths of revelation. In Ephesians 2, we're going to read from 1 down through 10. And it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or lifestyle in times past in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. And he hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. For the purpose or that in the times, the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's look at verse 8. For by grace you are saved through faith. So grace is ineffective until faith is mixed with it. Could I get an amen? Without faith, men cannot be saved. Without faith, grace cannot be experienced. Grace simply is God doing something for you and I that we could never do for ourselves. That's what grace simply means. Now we may say, well, it's unconditional love or it's favor. Uh, unmerited, unlearned favor. God just shines upon us favorably. But it's not just that. Because of this love that God has for us and the favor that mankind has found in his eyes, though unmerited, totally because man has disobeyed and rebelled against God, 
Out of that, though, God still did something for you and I that we could not do for ourselves. Now, his motivation was love, and his view of us was based on love and mercy. Mercy is a desire that nobody pay the penalty for sin. God is a merciful God. He gets no pleasure in sinners going to hell. He gets no pleasure in people losing, being defeated, discouraged, broken. He gets no pleasure in that because God's desire is that man escape the punishment that is rightly due him. Even though he knows right and he does wrong, God still has no intent at all that that man should suffer the penalty of his sin. But because he is a just God, that law of the curse, rebellion, sin is set in motion. But it's not that God wants any man to suffer it. Could he get an amen? And so God doesn't have to uh, do anything. He watches over his word to perform it. But in his intent, it was never that man would experience the wrath of God. That's why he says, do these things. Do this, do that. That's why God gives us instruction what to do so that we don't experience the punishment of transgression, of sin, of laziness, uh, uh, lackadaisicalness, lukewarmness. God gives us instruction. He gives us instruction because it is a cry of mercy. Go this way, not that way. Turn to the right. Do not take the left. Look up. Do not look down. So God gives us these things because he's merciful. And then out of that mercy is a place of great love and favor. And then that is the motivators of God. God doesn't want us to suffer punishment or he never would have sent Jesus Christ to deliver us from the curse of the law. He never would have sent Jesus Christ to free us from sin. So God is not an unmerciful God. He is a merciful God. And because he's merciful and then he loves man, he loves man, what does God do? That love and that mercy invokes God to do something favorable for lost man. Now, man wouldn't have done it, or not all men, and man couldn't have done it for himself or any other. So God sends his only begotten son that he was, uh, that if we believe on him, we would not perish, but we would have everlasting life. So we are saved by an act that only God could do for us that we could never do for ourselves. We could not save ourselves. Amen? Why? Because we were already indebted to death. We already owed a payment of death. And the only way that you could pay the price of sin was to die. Well, you couldn't die in sin or for your sin and then be redeemed man doesn't have that power but jesus christ came since he did not commit sin he could die in the place of a sinner and then after he had died god could raise him up because he was unjustly penalized 
for man's transgressions, but not his own. Hallelujah. And so we understand that we are saved by an act of God, the cross, the resurrection, the virgin birth, the sinless life. We were saved by all that Christ was and did that we could not do for ourselves. Amen? And therefore, because he first loved us and brought forth grace for our salvation, we now love him. We now love him. But today I want to talk to you about something. Yeah, let's go to, let's go to uh, Galatians 1. Galatians 1, and let's look at verse 6. And it says this, I marvel. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the, what? Grace of Christ unto another gospel. There is another gospel. It is a perverted gospel. It is born out of the philosophical thoughts of man, false scientific evidence, out of those that seek to dominate men, out of those that seek to deceive men for their own personal usury. Now, there is another gospel. And if there's another one, then we have to make sure that we are in the right one. Amen? And then it says this, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Prevert the gospel. Then Paul says in verse 8, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, that which we have uh, preached unto you, let him be accursed. And as we said before, so say I again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received let him be accursed let him be accursed and so there are gospels out there and God is vehemently against them they are perversions of the gospel you have heard this well it's all by grace let me say this to you perverted gospel because it's not all by grace Oh, God's did everything for us. No, God didn't do everything for us. Oh, there went that religious devil. He didn't do everything for us. He absolutely did not. He provided everything for us. But whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in your heart you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God with your mouth Confession is made unto salvation. God cannot save a man that does not exercise faith in grace. Can't do it. God cannot multiply a seed that is not sown. God can't answer a prayer that is not prayed. Hmm? Yes, hallelujah. 
there are multiple things that God can't do. It's not that God has not already made provision for him, but after he's made provision for him, everything that grace has done is subject to your faith. Amen. See, we are saved by grace through what? Faith. Without faith, can you be saved? No. That is the belief of universalism. That means that every man, every woman, since Christ has died for the sins of the world, that every man is automatically saved. No, every man is not saved. Salvation is available to all men, but every man individually must call upon the name of the Lord. Amen. You can't be saved by your mama's faith. You can't be saved by her purity or her holiness. You can't be saved by your grandma's prayers. You have to confess your savior yourself nobody can confess him for you could I get an amen you have to confess him for yourself you have to hear you have to believe and you have to declare your faith and so there is this out here that says well it's just by grace and that simply means that you get to do whatever you want to do without any recompense of responsibility but you have to understand whatever a man sows that does he reap amen let it rain God hallelujah and uh, so then what we do is we realize that without us confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord of our life we can't be saved we cannot be saved could again amen you cannot be baptized into Christ come on amen you have to use your faith to be put in Christ by the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so we as Christians understand that there are all types of Gospels out there. And we have to make sure that we are adhering to ours. Let's go over to uh, Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. And it says this. I am crucified with Christ nevertheless I live yet not I but Christ that liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh this physical tabernacle I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me I do not frustrate the grace of God for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now let's go down to verse, uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth and crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Received you the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? This is a twofold reference. Not only do you receive the spirit of adoption by the hearing of faith, but also you receive the Holy Ghost by the hearing of faith. And it says this, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Talking about works of the flesh. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if ye be yet in vain? 
He therefore that ministers to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doth he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, notice what it said. Paul, now the culprit here ends up being Peter. The one that has bewitched the church or the Galatians is Peter. The word bewitched means like, a, how many fishermen we got in here? You use artificial baits? That's bewitchery. You are presenting something that you have fashioned to look real, but it has no life in it, though you have presented it as though it did. And so the fish, and we're not stupid as fish and bluegills, is hooked. They lose control and they end up dispelling their life. They become subject to the bewitcher. Now, so Paul writes to the church and he says, I am just amazed with you. Who hath bewitched you? He says, you have begun using your faith in the grace of God, but now you have resorted back to doing things on your own, trying to please God, trying to do what God wants you to do, trying to be what God wants you to be. You can't be the new creature without faith in grace. And so Paul is uh, rebuking the church, but he ends up having a deep, deep uh, confrontation with Peter. Now, Peter rebuked him, and court, I mean, Paul rebuked him, and Peter repents. But the damage had already been done. Some people caught what Peter said. So they started handling their new life by works. Well, you know, if I just do this enough, you know, if I get stronger in diligence and temperance, you know, if I get up earlier, if I read more of the Bible, if I do this, if I do that, and all of those things are great, but they will never produce what God has done on your behalf through the cross. Amen. It will never do for you what grace has done. Could I get an amen? Absolutely. So what happens is these people, they again return to the weak and beggarly elements of the world. In other words, they start looking to the inward strength into their inventiveness, their intelligence, their own wisdom. And that's what they start dealing with. And so Paul says, who has bewitched you? You have separated yourself from the gospel that we preach to you. Remember, you now live by faith in the Son of God. In other words, you live by the complete work of Christ through faith. And so people were bewitched. Can it happen today? Absolutely. We hear it all the time. You know, well, you know, your sins are not inputted to you. You know, God paid the price for them. Well, he absolutely did. But that doesn't mean you get to do them, fulfill them, without being convicted and having a true heart of repentance. But we have all these things going on, this big uproar, they say, in the kingdom of God. I hear pastors say it all the time. Do you have that grace stuff going on in your church? I said, no. Run it out of them. Beat it out of them. Don't let it get in them. 
Why? Because it's a false gospel. It's a false gospel. And so, today we're going to look at a couple of things that have to do with getting or living in grace. Let's turn our Bibles to Acts, the 14th chapter. Acts 14, 3. Acts 14, 3. Now, where would we define grace? We need to find where grace is and what it does so that we understand it more. Acts 14 and verse 3. There you are. Long time, therefore, abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, who gave testimony unto the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Somebody say, the word of his grace. In other words, the gospel is the definition of God's willingness to do for you what you can't do for yourself. Every promise, every word in here is filled with God's desire to do for you what you can't do for yourself. But every word requires a response of faith. A response of faith. So, let's go to Acts the 20th chapter. Acts the 20th chapter. And let me see what verse we are. Acts 20, okay, where are you, buddy? Uh, How about uh, no <laughs> twenty three? Let's what no twenty three the day. You think that I would have read that before I come in here? But this is all part of fun. All right, let's find uh, where the grace of God uh, is. It twenty the end? Okay, there you go. Thank you. And it says, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel is every word that is in the scriptures. The gospel is a revelation of grace. When you heard about Jesus Christ dying on the cross, what was that? That was you hearing about the grace of God demonstrated for you. With that grace came faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so when you heard about that grace, what did you do? You either rejected it or you submitted to it. You accepted it, and you confessed that Jesus Christ was Lord of your life, right? Thus, salvation is born. We are saved by grace. So the discovery of grace comes through the preaching of the gospel. 
every promise, somebody say every promise, is a revelation of God's grace that he has poured out on us. Amen. See, God is willing to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. How many of you can sow a penny on your own and get a dollar? Well, you can't, but God set up a specific law that said, if you sow, he will multiply that seed. Now, no man could do that, but God did that for you and I, right? Absolutely. So, the definition or a revelation or a discovery of the grace of God is simply in the scripture. The Bible says, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as being the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What was Jesus? He was personalized, personified grace in motion. In other words, when he came up to the sick and they said, Jesus, and he turned to them and said, what would you have me do? Think of what he just said. What would you have me do? Now, a blind man could have said, return my wife that ran away. Restore honor to me. Restore all that I've lost. God, restore the blessing of my father's house upon me because I am the firstborn. Cause my enemies to return what they've cheated me from. Cause my, the thief that has been active in my life, call him to give me sevenfold. Call me to rise up and be the head, not the tail. Jesus said, what would you have me do? What was he? Grace. I'm here to do for you what you can't do for yourself. What would you have me do? Wow, that's a whole lot better than learning how to read Braille. Right? And I'm not, I'm not downcasting that. I'm just telling you that that's a whole lot better. So what does Jesus say? The blind man says that I might see. Jesus says, okay. But then he says, according to thy faith. In other words, you will get the portion of grace, my willingness to do for you anything you want done. But it will be based on your faith. Is that what he says? Absolutely. How is every promise fulfilled? Hebrews 6.12, could I have that on the screen? Hebrews 6.12, this is how every promise or every revelation of grace, God's willingness to do for you what you can't do on your own, that you be not slothful. Oh, gosh. How could we have grace at our disposal and be too lazy to use faith? But there, there you go. People are there. And it says that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through what? Faith and patience inherit the graces of God. What is the gospel? It's the gospel of grace. What is the gospel? 
It's that you have been saved, you've been engrafted in Christ, but that you now have an inheritance. Is that true? The inheritance is found in the promises of God, right? Now, I'm going to hammer this until the nail head gets buried. Because I, I'm telling you, it's, it's just that people have the answer to their dilemmas, but they don't use what is required. It's not hard. They will fight and they will labor and use everything they've got. Oh, man, pray that the bank will, will refinance us and pray this and pray. And I understand all that. Oh, but there is a God that has said that he would meet all of our needs according to his riches in glory. There is a God that said if you sow, he will multiply it, that you'll have sufficiency in all things in life. There is that God. But the first thing that we turn to is what? The flesh and its strength and what we can bring about. Now, let me ask you something. When they were bewitched, when they were bewitched in Galatians 3, 1 and 2 and 3, what did they do? They returned back to earthly strength, earthly wisdom. The gospel without faith is not productive or profitable for any man. The gospel with faith becomes the mustard tree that creates an ecosystem of self-existence by faith in God. But it is independent of the world around them. Now let me tell you something else, that people that get bewitched or go back to works or goes back to trying to do things on their own. Let's go to Romans, the eighth chapter. Romans, the eighth chapter. Let's go down to verse 5. And they that are after the flesh, they that are after the flesh, they that are dominated by, those that are bewitched by, those that are lorded over by, those that have faith in, the flesh. When it talks about the flesh, it talks about the physical members of our body. The flesh is just a covering of soft skin. That's what the word flesh means, just a soft membrane. But in Scripture, it reveals to us that it has life. Then it reveals to us that it has, if you have life, you have to have intake and output. Well, the intake of the flesh are the senses. They are the eyes, the ears, the tongue or taste, touch, amen? And so when we adhere to, I think there's five, there's what? The eye, the ear, the taste, the touch, what else? The hearing, the mouth, okay. All of these things are what brings stuff in. They bring information in. 
Now, they can bring spiritual information or they can bring carnal information. But whatever one you give the greatest adherence to is what will dominate your life. So when the gospel was preached and they got converted, they seen miracles. He that works miracles among you, how's he doing it? By the works of law? No. By the hearing of faith. They saw miracles, wonders, demonstrations. Yet here comes somebody that wants to take him someplace else. He just throws something out there that just looks like something. And the fish is looking for something. He's hungry. So what does he do? He becomes bewitched. And once he launches out, before he knows it, momentum has caused him to hook himself. And he's now being drugged into a world that he doesn't want to be in. And so, here they are, bewitched. Now, once that takes place, guess what the bewitched mind does? It separates itself from faith. It's separate. Now, now it believes, it says that Christ is Lord. It says, I believe in the cross, but they never rely on faith which was the beginning of their transformation. Some way they think that now faith has lost its power and, you know, we got to be diligent. We got to be consistent. We got to be, we got to be, we got to be. Listen, we have to be consistent and diligent, but not in a natural way, but for God to infuse those things because when diligence is added with faith, then you get to bring it into the mixture of virtue. But humanistic diligence will never stand the test. Will never stand the test. Amen. There, there are lots of things I'm telling you that we just are missing out on. And so it says this. Now here's what happens when we get bewitched. For they that are of the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. In other words, they yield to them. But they that are, are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. To be carnally minded or flesh dominated. Flesh influenced. See, there is a carnal mind and there is a spiritual mind. And the carnal mind, because the carnal mind is the enmity or the enemy against God. In other words, it refuses to use faith and thinks that they on their own can produce God results. You cannot do it. And then it says this, enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Do you know what faith is? Do you know that faith is a law? In Romans, the third chapter says, and the law of faith. It is a law. And people, they get carnally minded, separate their self from living under the law of faith. The law of faith is what produces what grace has provided. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 
So then they that are in the flesh or living in that realm of doing it on your own cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of God or the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. The carnal mind is the enmity of God and is not subject, neither can it be subject to the laws of God. In other words, you start inducing this that you can do it on your own. You're going to be disciplined and you're going to be this and you're going to be that. I'm just going to turn over a new leaf and you're just... No, what you'll do is you will separate yourself from the faith that produces the overall word of salvation. And you will find yourself. You may be saved, but then you'll be separated from all the laws of God. And you'll do nothing by faith. Nothing by faith. Hallelujah. Let's not do that. Amen? All right, I got a couple minutes. I'm going to... Uh, how do you... What, uh, okay, let's go to uh, Colossians. Let's go to Colossians uh, 1. Colossians 1. And uh, can I have Hebrews 4.16 on the screen? Colossians 1. And uh, we're going to look at verse 9. Hebrews 4.16 says this. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of that we might obtain, yeah, what does grace do? It brings us out of the place where sin and penalty rule. And find what? To help in time of what? All right. Now, leave that up there. Colossians 1.9. For this cause, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience, long-suffering, wow, and joyfulness. Why does Paul pray for the church at Colossians? Because what he is asking them to do to walk worthy of the gospel to work or to be pleasing unto the Lord, to be fruitful in every good work, to be strengthened with all his might, notice these words, unto his, by his glorious power, unto patience, long-suffering, and joyfulness. Paul prays that. Why does he pray that? He is extracting grace. Because these people cannot do what he said for them to do without it. 
You could not be fruitful. You cannot be patient. You can't be joyful. Oh, but sometimes I just laugh. You can't be joyful. You might mimic for a moment, but you will never live joy unspeakable and full of glory. Where does that come? That comes from grace. When you put faith in motion to obtain it. Somebody help me. Is this the truth? Look, if you don't mix faith, what is Paul doing? He understands what God has provided. So he asked God that the church would experience it. Because Paul cannot make them do what they want by telling them, you can't do this, you can't do that, but you should do this, you should do that. He understands that patience, long-suffering, and joyfulness are spiritual endowments of grace. Why are people not joyful? They're trying to be happy on their own. You buy stuff, you do this, you do that. You, you know, Phyllis tries to be happy by kissing on me and then me giving her something. That, those are just fleeting moments. You understand? Really. Now just think, when was the last time you were really happy? When you bought something. What were you really happy about? Why did you look at life so well? I was cooking. Oh, let's start the day out. I was cooking. I, I did it. You were just happy you had a slave. You were happy at somebody else's cost. Well, that is true. One of the things. One of the things. Don't go the others, darling. I'm just telling you. Now, I, I'm just at just look at the scripture. Why is Paul praying? He is extracting grace. How did Paul get the grace? He got it from a revelation of the promises. But if he does not use faith with it, these people are not going to be anything other than fleshly, carnal-minded So he says, God, do for them what they can't do for themselves. Strengthen them. You ever been tried to be strong and you couldn't? That's because it's human strength confronting demonic problems. Can't do it. Can't do it. Remember when Paul said, God, I besought you three times. Rid me of this battle. He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And then Paul said, well, when I'm weak, I will say I'm strong. What was he doing? Invoking faith in grace and becoming what God wanted him to be. Now, we're going to discover how to do this very precisely. In next week, I'm believing God we're going to get there. Praise God. Next week. But just look at verse 9. And let's just pick out a few things down through 11. And then it says this. 
For this cause since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. You think maybe we should pray before we ever study? And that you would know God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Now that is in holiness and in faith. Two things that please God. And then it says this, that you might be pleasing, being fruitful. In how many? Oh, gee, many. And increasing in the knowledge of God. How many of you want to be fruitful? You, you can't be fruitful in the kingdom without God's grace. And then it says this, strengthen with all might according to his glorious power. Hallelujah. Unto what? All patience, long-suffering, and joyfulness. And we could have continued that in forgiveness, in kindness, in gentleness, in meekness, in love. Remember, it's the love of God shed abroad in the heart by the Holy Ghost. You can't love people unless God has done a work of grace on the inside of you. Amen. You can't even love your spouse the way that Christ loved the church. How do you think God expects a man to do that physically? You can't. You can't be bound to such a mission without God on your side. You ever start praying around and saying, God, the love of Jesus that brought him to the cross, God, put in me for my wife. Instead of God, change her that I could love her. Hmm? Yes, no. We all face that. Come on, let's be honest to God. If Jesus had what I had to get him to the cross, gee, buddy, he ain't even out of the gate yet. They're looking for somebody to judge, and he's headed on the donkey that he rode into Jerusalem, leaving Jerusalem. I love Phyllis, but scarcely for a good man would one die, let alone not for a sinner. Well, she's going to have to up her game for me to die, for her. Not that I won't get killed by her, but to die for her is entirely different. No, no, I want you to think, Bill, do you think you've loved Lois with the love that Jesus had for you when he went to the cross? Oh, Bob, never mind. <laughs> Wayne... Do you think that you have loved Elaine with the love that brought Christ to the cross? Look, did Jesus give his life for our wrongs, for our glitches? Yet, we're always saying, I wish you wouldn't do that. I wish you wouldn't. Why are you doing that? Love of self but not love for your wife. Amen? Now listen, men, if you want an example of love, cook pork chops, crab legs, and pancakes. And your reward shall be great on this earth. 
Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's stand to our feet. Hallelujah. 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 It is the grace of God, his willingness, that he has accomplished things for you that you could never do for yourself. All he asks is that you go to the promise, see what he has done, and put faith with it. He's waiting to strengthen you, to transform you, to cause you to be fruitful in life, cause us to love our enemies, love our wives, cause us to be fearless, to be bold, to be long-suffering, and to be filled with a joy that is radically, radically expressive no matter where we are in life. Hallelujah. Would be to God that we would be called the the joyless, hilarious, holy rollers of the earth. Hallelujah. Father, God, I tried in all the simplicity I could. God, touch this word. Cause them to receive. Open up the eyes of their understanding, God. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. God, unveil it. God, let us begin to live to live by faith, not be strengthened on our own, not stand our own, not put up with things on our own, but God, let the Spirit of God strengthen us with a divine infusion of the strength of God, God into patience, long-suffering God, kindness, love, consistency God, lifting up, diligence, that, Father, we'll be great starters, but God will also be great finishers. That God will put our hands to the plow and not let go. That, God, we will be hilariously infused with strength and joy, unspeakable, filled with the demonstration of who you are in our life. God, thank you for your word today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. See